This is the ATM at the Minute Podcast presented by Fan Fuel Sports. I'm Peter Mitchell here today with Jackson Stover. And today we are doing something that we've been waiting to do for a very long time. That is the first ever ATM mailbag episode. And today's is all about fantasy football because it is on the horizon. I got a draft in one hour and 21 minutes. I got another draft tomorrow. I did two on Sunday. Not that anybody cares. We're in full fantasy season. Busy man. Season starts Thursday, next Thursday. Let's go. Chiefs opening up against the Houston Texans. 22% of the fans are going to be there at Arrowhead. I'm so excited, Jackson. Did I leave anything else out or do you want to just get right on into this? No, one question. Let's get right on into it. Chiefs are a nine and a half point favorite. Hammer it. Them covering? All right. Just wanted to check. Okay. So fantasy mailbag. Let's get <laughs> right into it. And first question pertains to Alvin Kamara and a little bit of background here. So we get word yesterday that Kamara might be holding out. Apparently he has not been a participant in the last three days of camp. He has one year left on his rookie deal worth $2 million and he wants a new contract. Everything I heard yesterday sounded like it was not in a good place and it probably was not going to get done. But I've seen some contradicting reports today. And the last thing that I saw said the Saints and Kamara were $2 million away from agreeing on a new deal. And the Saints are just getting absolutely trolled by the internet because they gave Taysom Hill $21 million, but are going to let Alvin Kamara potentially walk on a $2 million difference. So... I've heard that it changes by the day. There is a lot that has happened since the end of the day Monday, and it's really changing by the hour. So I don't think anybody really knows what exactly is going on here. But first question of the mailbag, Parker Storch (laughs) wants to know, when it comes to Alvin Kamara, where does he now lie considering his potential contract holdout and trade situation? Is he worth a first round or second round pick still? Yes, but it depends By the time you hear this, we might have news. He might have signed a deal. If that's the case, 100% he's worth the first round pick. But by the time you hear this, if you have not drafted yet and there's still no resolution and you end up getting the fourth pick overall, or the, I would say if you're anywhere from three to seven and Kamara's there, I'm just going to take somebody else. I'm not going to take the risk here. He could get traded potentially. I personally think he's going to stay in New Orleans, but you can lose your draft in the first round if you take Kamara and he holds out for the whole season. Cough, cough, Le'Veon Bell. There's just too many outcomes that could happen. Jackson, you agree with me here? Yeah, I agree. And I don't think this situation seems to be quite as bad as the Le'Veon Bell situation. But like you were saying, I mean, so much can change in the next four hours even, you know, by the time you hear this tomorrow, he could be on a whole new team. I mean, we don't even know. I don't think he's going to get traded. I think they're going to work it out. So I say, if you really like Kamara at the end of the first round, pull the trigger, but you make damn sure you get Latavius Murray at some point in seventh, eighth, ninth round, reach on him, take him too early because you got to make sure you get that handcuff just in case something happens. Just like when Le'Veon went out, got to have James Conner there as the handcuff or you're just screwed. So I don't think that it's a stay away for me, but you better make sure you get Latavius Murray if you're going to do it. Right. So if I have the fourth pick, I'm taking, I'm expecting Saquon, McCaffrey, Mm -hmm. Zeke to be off the board. I might go Michael Thomas instead of Kamara. And if you're buying into the Edwards Alaire hype, maybe you take him at four. Chill out on that. If you're buying in, if you're buying in, that's that's all I said. Okay, well, you got to be careful there because I think there's another guy that could very likely wind up in Kansas City if you want to kind of lay the groundwork on that one for us. Okay, you think that Leonard Fournette might have a chance to end up in Kansas City. Let's segue into our second question here from Kyle Sherrill. And we have a a follow-up from my boy Michael Smith. Shout out to these two folks, my baseball buddies growing up here. They want to know, what Jags RB do I pick up with Fournette gone? And then Michael followed up and said, what team would be the best for Fournette to go to? Yeah, so do you want to start with Michael's question here since it just kind of naturally flows with the conversation we were having about the Chiefs? Yeah, that's fine. I think the best fit, and this might be totally resolved by the time you hear this as well. Uh, Fournette passed waivers today. He's 
free agent right now. I think Chicago would be a great landing spot for him. David Ooh. Montgomery just hurt his groin last week. Uh, the injury was pretty bad. I believe he got carted off the practice field. I've heard he might be okay. Well, he's going to miss some time. I don't really think this is something he can practice through right now. So if they need a short-term answer, they could easily go for net here. And I would say he's probably more effective between the tackles than Montgomery. Montgomery was not very impressive last season. He would be a good guy to have, and then you still have Cohen in the pass game. You think Kansas City. Kansas City did pick up LaShawn McCoy last year, another guy who had some character questions. They brought him into the locker room. He had history with Andy Reid, and it worked out. Are there any other teams you're looking at for Fournette? The two teams that come to mind are Kansas City and Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay makes a lot of sense just because he can catch the ball well enough out of the backfield, Fournette can, that you could almost put him in a little bit of the James White role, except he's also way better between the tackles. I think Brady would feel good enough with him out there on some third downs that he can make his little check downs do him just like he would James White. And I think the thing with Fournette also, the biggest concern is the locker room, the character, the work ethic. And if you're putting him in an offense with Tom Brady, I can bet you that Tom Brady's going to hold him accountable. And it's a low risk, high reward move because you bring him in on a one-year deal for a million dollars if that, and then if it doesn't work out, you just cut him. It's as simple as that. And I think he's got to be an upgrade over Ronald Jones and the rook that they've got in the backfield, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. So who's been I just, struggling out of camp. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard great things about that backfield. So I don't see why not if you're Tampa Bay. I think both LA teams might have him on the map. I know the Rams kind of have a running back by committee. They've got some young guys they've drafted the last couple years that are in the mix. I like Cam Akers a lot, but there's just a few teams. It's got to be a team that's competitive, looking to make a playoff push. And I think it's got to be a team with a pretty good culture in place if they're going to make this work out. But yeah, I, I think Kansas City, Tampa Bay make the most sense for Fournette. On the Kansas City thing, they just invested a first-round pick in Edward Zolaire. They love him. I just think that would be kind of stupid to take away from the potential he has. Um, but you never know. And then Tampa, yeah, I see that. L.A., possibly. I mean, the Chargers could maybe use somebody. Who knows? Yeah, um, maybe Philly also was another team I threw in there just if they want some depth with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. He's going to be a little bit more of a bruiser between the tackles, but can also catch some balls out of the backfield. So you're not going to have to really rework the offense or do anything crazy by bringing Fournette in there. Right. I would say Chicago and Tampa Bay. Kyle, to answer your question, which Jags running back do you want to pick up? I'm punting. On this, really? honestly, I think there's better options. If you did draft Fournette, then maybe you do want to pick up Chris Thompson. He's got history with the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, Requel Armstead, he's been injured. There's been some buzz on him the last two years, but I'm kind of... I've heard he's the front runner for the job, or at least the early down carries. But like you were saying about Thompson, if you're going to take one back here... You're taking Thompson because the one thing about this Jacksonville team, they're going to suck. They're going to throw right. the ball a lot. They're going to be a pass-happy team because they're always down in games. And, I mean, that's the only weapons they have on offense are receivers. So, I think if you're Jacksonville, you're throwing the ball 40-plus times a game, which is going to result in a lot of checkdowns to Chris Thompson. I think he's going to be a lock for 10 to 12 points a week, but at the same time, do I want any running back in that Jacksonville offense? I'm with you. No, not really. Yeah, if if you really feel strongly about it because you had Fournette, I would go Thompson and then Divine Ozigbo out of Nebraska. They've been raving about him in training camp as well. So if you want to get both as some insurance, there you go. But I, I agree with you, Jackson. This team's trying to tank. They just traded in Gokwe. They traded Ramsey last season, Calais Campbell to the Ravens this offseason. They don't care about winning. They're not going to be good. Weeks 10 through 16, they didn't score over 20 points once. Where are the touchdowns coming? I'm not sure I want to rely on anyone from this team. 
Yep, I'm with you on that. And one last caveat here. I think if anything, this does kick Gardner Minshew's draft value up a tiny bit just because there's even less of a running game now. They're going to have to throw the ball even more. So that might be the only positive that really comes out of this here. On to the next question. Joey Ross. Happy birthday. Yeah, give him a little shout out. So Joey wants to know who some under the radar players who are candidates for a breakout season. Okay. I have a few here I want to throw out. All right. Uh, The first one, Michael Gallup. I don't think he's under the radar, for one, but I do think it's not crazy to say he could put up the same numbers as Amari Cooper this season. He was six in yards per game in the NFL last year. He was just a few targets behind him. And the Cowboys have 160 targets up for grabs this season with Jason Winton leaving and Randall Cobb going to Houston. So there's more targets for him. 66 catches last year, six touchdowns, and over 111 yards in 14 games. I love the connection with Dak, the continuity that they're going to bring into this season that's full of uncertainty. So that's one. And then another, Will Fuller, who Jackson's probably going to shake his head on. I already am, yeah. Draft him for five games if you want. 25% target share last year when he was on the field. Only nine less total targets than DeAndre Hopkins. There's a lot of targets up for grabs. And like I said, continuity with Deshaun Watson. Brandon Cooks does not have that. He worked with the trainer this offseason to retool the way he walks or runs or something because he's got these crazy hamstring issues. But I think you he's can got the hamstring it. issues. He's got the concussions. I mean, it's just so a crap shoot with this wide receiver group. Yeah, no, I'm saying Cooks has the issues. Oh, Kenny Stills okay. doesn't have the best injury history either. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Whew. So Will Fuller's coming into the year healthy, and I think you could start him on day one. And then well, who do you have here? Yeah, I'm with you on Fuller. I think if you could get a guarantee, he's going to be healthy for at least 12 plus games worth a pick. But I, I just can't imagine him actually playing that many but my guy here Anthony Miller I've been big on him he is going late 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 you can probably get him in the last round or two I did the other night in our vampire league and the thing with Anthony Miller is in weeks 11 through 15 last season when Chicago had their best offense out there they were trying to make a playoff push they were still in the hunt Anthony Miller had five straight double digit point weeks and two of those weeks were some high point weeks. One was 26, the other was 23. And for a guy playing in the slot, that's pretty damn good. Anthony Miller is going to be wide receiver two this year. No more Taylor Gabriel. The only other guy there that's going to be getting a hefty amount of targets is going to be Allen Robinson. Look for Anthony Miller to have a huge year for the Bears in the slot, regardless of the quarterback. But I feel even better about it if it's Foles out there. Right. I like that one too. I have a tight end I'm going to save for a later question, but I do have two running backs I want to throw out. Damian Harris has been commanding the job in New England. You can get him really late in drafts. And then Naeem Hines of the Indianapolis Colts. Austin Eckler. That that's what he could be for Phillip Rivers here. I'm not going to say he's got the upside that Eckler has, but if you are in a deep league and you need a flex some week, maybe a bye week, Naeem Hines could be putting up 12, 15 points a game. He's going to be the pass catching back for that offense, guaranteed. I think they're going to need either Jonathan Taylor or Marlon Mack to go down for that to happen. But he's I like be Hines the pass a lot. catching guy, man. I'm telling you. He is going to be, and he'll probably return some kicks. He might run one or two back. I mean, he'll he'll get some value in there, but I would feel a whole lot better about him if one of the backs for Indy were out of the mix. But hey, it's a long season. One of those two guys, or one of those three guys, for that sake, could be on another team by week two, three, four, five, with the way that this running back shakeup has gone with Kamara, Fournette, and who knows who's next. So Dalvin Cook might be holding out or getting traded at some point too. I think, yeah, I think that's (laughs) kind of been put to bed. I think he's good to go, but you never know. I mean, all of a sudden we might hear tomorrow that Cook and the Vikings are on bad terms again, and he's not going to play week one. I mean, these running backs, it's such a weird deal just because their shelf life is short and they are really seen as an asset that's very replaceable right now in the NFL. So I don't hate that, but I don't love it. Just a depth play. He's not a league winner. Damian Harris might be a league winner. He could definitely be a guy that has a whole lot of value for New England. Should we move it along to the next question, though, here? 
Yes, Aaron Smith, you texted me this the other day, and I thought we should just throw it in the mailbag. In a 14-man PPR fantasy football league, would your first two picks be running backs? I say unequivocally, yes. Unless unless Michael Thomas falls or somebody falls to you. It, It definitely depends, but I don't think you can go wrong starting off your roster with two awesome running backs in a league that deep. Okay, I have a little bit of an alternate approach here, and my response was actually absolutely not. Let's hear it. I said, there's enough solid guys you can get later on, like Mark Ingram, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, a David Montgomery if they don't make a move for another running back, or a Cam Akers if LA doesn't make a move for another running back. And I just think that it is kind of a big drop off after the top tier of running backs. But like you were saying, I think you really play it by whoever falls to you. I mean, there's no reason to go take Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs if you could have Julio Jones and Michael Thomas. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. I think, especially in that deep of a league, if you can get a few big point getters at the top, regardless of if they're running backs or wide receivers, you can make some moves throughout the year. You can play the waiver wire. You're going to be able to find a running back or two with some value that you can play as your RB2. But for me, recipe for success, you always keep a wide receiver in that flex spot. So I kind of like the value of wide receivers a little bit more than running backs this year. I don't like Miles Sanders top 10. I don't like Hilaire top 10. I know you do. I just... Derek Henry, even to me, is pushing it a little bit top 10. I like him better than the other two, but I don't love him. Very interesting take. I think the drop-off with running backs this year is huge. It's steep, steep. So maybe you do get one receiver, but I think you have to come out of those first two rounds with a running back, or else you're going to get screwed. I agree with you on that. I think first three rounds, probably even first two, you definitely need to get one running back. But there's going to be guys, you know, like Chris Carson. That's another one I forgot. You could scoop him up in the third, right. fourth, or fifth round, and Connor, he's going to be a solid RB2 for you, worst-case scenario. Right. I think Chris Carson, James Conner, if you can get them in the third round and then get a running back receiver in the first two, something like that, you're going to be very solid. Yeah, I agree. And it also depends on where your pick falls. I mean, if you've got a first four pick, you go running back 100%. No mistake in that. But if you're sitting there in like 11, 12, 13, 14 range, and you've still got Hopkins, Julio, Devontae Adams, maybe even a Kelsey on the board, I probably look there. But it's everyone's preference at this point. Yeah, this draft really feels more so than previous years, kind of up in the air. There's not the universal consensus here's the top 10 elite guys you got to go after we've seen guys like miles sanders climb up draft boards from 45th overall a few months ago to all of a sudden number eight overall so there's a lot listen to our breakout episode in may or june they had to have they moved josh jacobs back up their ways we said he wasn't getting enough love they really have been listening to us Well, Aaron, I hope that helps. I know your draft is on Saturday. You were talking about using the big cat lottery draft order randomizer. I hope that works out for you. (laughs) Let's move on to my boy Tommy Bame's question. Thanks for uh, sending us a question, Tommy. Who do you think is in a better spot to boom this year? Henry Ruggs III or Jalen Rager? So let's preface this. Today, Tyrell Williams got placed on the IR. He's hurt for six months. That opens up a lot for Henry Ruggs, I would say. He was a down-the-field threat. Ruggs is a speedster. Jalen Rager, out three to four weeks, according to a report on Sunday. He was crushing it in Philly camp. Absolutely dominating. People were saying he was the best athlete on the entire field. My stance has changed completely on Jalen Rager after hearing all this stuff. Jackson, what do you think here? I was going to say, I think Rager has the upside to be wide receiver one on that Eagles team by the end of the season. And the injury does mess things up, but let's say they're both healthy in a perfect world. I'm going Rager 100%. And really, it just boils down to the fact that I trust Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz a whole lot more than I trust John Gruden and Derek Carr. And I think that Philly's offense... Although it might be rough some weeks, 
I think they're going to produce more consistently than Oakland. Oakland, they could go score 40 points one week and come back and throw up three points the next. You just don't know what you're going to get with them. And granted, Philly is not the most reliable offense in the world with the constant injuries that they seem to have, but I just like Philly's offense a whole lot more than Oakland at this point. Yeah, so I think... Rugs will have a season like Hollywood Brown did a year ago, minus all of the injuries. I think that really that held Hollywood back quite a bit. He had a solid rookie year. Yeah, he did have some big games. I think Rugs will have those four catch, eighty yard, one touchdown games, or five for one thirty one week. But then he might kind of like Tyree Kill's breakout year. Yeah, he might come back with two for sixty one week, and you're just like, ah, I don't know about this. Whereas yeah, I'm with you on that. Rager, who has this labrum injury, kind of like Anthony Miller had in his rookie year, mm-hmm. if he can get back and show some strength, you know, a month from now, yes, he's got wide receiver one upside for that roster because who do they have? Greg Ward, Ortega Whiteside, who hasn't popped at all, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson, Jackson, who's a field stretcher and that that's something to throw out there i would draft deshaun jackson late now he's healthy he could win you a week by putting up 35 points i mean he's done this year after year so let me throw this out at you would it be worth going like rager and deshaun jackson in your last two rounds and then you throw rager on the ir and immediately just go pick somebody up off the waiver wire you hold rager on the bench in case if you have an ir spot crazy bring him back yeah if you have an ir spot which i think most leagues (laughs) oh he's not on the ir oh he's only out three to four weeks so that's okay if he's out three games yeah if he's out you can put him on the ir spot at least i know most leagues um And that is one thing this year to keep track of because you should have more IR spots than normal with COVID. I know a lot of people have factored that into their league setup. They've got two or three IR spots instead of none or one like a lot of leagues have in the past just because one of your guys might test positive. You got to throw them on the IR for a week. You don't want to have to drop Patrick Mahomes if he tests positive for COVID. So I think... (laughs) That's something to kind of keep track of and don't be afraid to use those IR spots, even if it's not on guys with COVID, because there are some guys who are going to be banged up throughout the first half of the year that if you can get them healthy, they might be a game changer for you in playoff weeks down the stretch. Yeah. And Tommy, to give you an ultimate, definite answer here, I say Rager, I think he can ball out. I thought Justin Jefferson was going to be the best rookie this season, rookie receiver that is. They're saying he's had a little slow start in Minnesota. Rager's been killing it. I think Rager's the guy. Yeah, I'm with you. And you know, with how early they took Rager, he was not slated to go that early. So Philly really sees something. Yes, Philly sees something in him, and they are going to get their money's worth with him. Right. Okay. All right, on to the next question. So this comes from Blake Hardwell or Hartwell, excuse me, your boy. We just had just had our Vampire League draft and he was in it. And I believe he took San Francisco defense in the seventh round, sixth round, something like somewhere, that. somewhere like that. And so Blake wants to know <laughs> when is the last round? It is embarrassing to take a defense. So when is the cutoff of after this round, you are in the clear to take a defense and not get drugged by your buddies for it? The very last round is the only round you should take a defense. You could take Justin Tucker over a defense. Greg Zerline in Dallas. Robbie Gold in San Francisco. Take a kicker if you're in a league with kickers over a defense. Offense is stickier year to year than defense. This is a known fact. Do not ever take a defense before any other position. Wow. Okay. I disagree with you there. I always go defense second to last round and then kicker last round. But if I'm being completely honest, I go week to week with my defenses and kickers and Thank just drop you. ad based on matchup. So I said Justin after Tucker is a year long play. That is true. And there are some defenses that are a year long play also, which is why I said after round 10, you're probably in the clear. If you want to go with the 49ers defense or, you know, in recent years when the Seahawks defense or the Broncos defense were just absolutely nuts. Sure. Take them in the 10th or 11th or 12th round or so, but yeah, definitely not before round 10 or 11 is what I would say. Yeah. And don't draft the Patriots first because 
They've had so much turnover. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, their whole... They've either lost or placed on COVID reserve list pretty much their entire starting defense. Yeah. Chung, Hightower, uh, Roberts. I think the McCordys might be out also. Jamie Collins. Um, the list is really long of guys they lost this offseason. So. Yep. And I think they also placed the most guys on the opt-out COVID list right. also. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, on to the next question, though. Another from Parker Sorge, my old roommate, who I probably will be watching Game 7 with as soon as we get done here. He wants to know. <laughs> he, he's he's big on Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. He likes what their offense is going to do this year. And he wants to know which receiver has the most upside. And I think I know what you're going to say. But what's the take here? Okay. Upside usually depends on one thing. That is touchdowns because upside depends on touchdowns. I think Mike Evans has more upside. Wow, I did not expect that. Okay, If I want the volume play, the guy I'm relying on week to week to produce for my team, I'm taking Chris Godwin 10 times out of 10. But if you're saying, oh, you know, I think Mike Evans can be the new Randy Moss. Well, Tom Brady's a lot older, and Mike Evans is not prime Randy Moss, but I still think he could get you 12 touchdowns this season. I think he could get 12 touchdowns also, and I have not heard anyone say the Randy Moss thing. That That is a wee bit outlandish, but it is something that I could see coming out of my mouth. 12, not 23. That's a big difference. Yeah, that is a big difference, but I'm saying Evans here just because I think he's the more talented and more proven player, but... There are a lot of guys in the same school of thought as you as they think Godwin is a better fit with Brady at this point in his career. He's going to see way more balls thrown to him over the middle while Evans is going to be on the sidelines. But I don't really love either. If I'm going to take one, though, I'm probably taking Evans just because he is so talented. He has been a top 10 receiver for so long. I think Brady's going to find a way to get him the ball and get him his touches in the red zone. Like you were saying, I don't think 10 to 12 touchdowns is unrealistic. and I I just, this Tampa Bay offense makes me nervous, man. I really don't know what to expect. I don't know how good they're going to be. I honestly say stay away from Tampa Bay in general, unless you take Gronk in like the 10th round just as a flyer, you know, like your backup tight end or someone you might throw in the mix there. But other than that, I don't really love Tampa Bay as a whole, and I am definitely staying away from Tom Brady as a quarterback. He is way overhyped, way overvalued. There's no reason this guy should be a top 10 quarterback in fantasy this year. Yeah, one last thing. I think Godwin is the safest fantasy asset on this team. I think he'll have around 100 catches. He'll be the Edelman guy for Brady. Um, so there you go. You got your answer, Parker. Hope that All suffices. Right. David Hernandez, shout out to the Hernandez trio down in Dallas, Texas. David asks, would you take a late round flyer on a breakout tight end with your last pick if you have Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? What's your answer and who are your breakout tight ends? So my answer is why not? Um, There's a chance, depending on what other running backs and wide receivers, even quarterbacks are on the board. I might not even draft a backup tight end at the start of the year and play the waiver wire as I have one of those tight ends. Right. But if I do like another option and there's not a running back or wide receiver on the board with my last pick that I think is worth it, I have no problem going tight end because at the end of the day, you might be able to get Austin Hooper in the last round or a Mike Jasicki or an Eric Ebron. These are guys that are probably not going to be in your lineup every week, but they have a chance to have a Darren Waller type year and just go nuts and end up being a top five, top 10 tight end maybe. And at that point, tight ends are so valuable that if you've got two tight ends who are top 10, you can go flip one of them for a darn good running back or wide receiver more than likely, throw together a nice little trade package and upgrade your team wherever need be. So I don't think drafting two tight ends is ever really a bad idea just because if you can hit on both of them or even really hit on one, he's going to have value. You can trade him to someone. They're always going to be a team or two in your league that need a tight end. Yeah, I would say uh, if you're not deep, in your starting running back spots, I would probably fill it up with handcuff guys. Um, who's who's out there? 
Latavius Murray, Alexander Madison, Chase Edmonds, guys like that, Damian Harris, even I'd probably maybe I would go that route before getting the backup tight end if I'm fortunate enough to have one of these guys. But you could go, let's see, Hayden Hurst is filling in for Austin Hooper in Atlanta. Many experts think they're going to throw the ball more than any team in the NFL. He's going to be the a lot third of targets there. opened up there. A lot of targets. Chris Herndon for the New York Jets. He's a stellar athlete. They've been hyping him up. He might be second in targets behind Jamison Crowder. TJ Hawkinson lighting up camp in Detroit. He's another guy. Jarwin picking up Jason Witten's role in Dallas. There's so many guys you could throw a flyer at that could potentially pop be the Darren Waller, like you said. So yeah, if you want to go that route and if you're trying to get a trade asset, go ahead and do it. Yeah, I don't see why not. And worst case scenario, you've got a nice little insurance policy in case Kittle or Kelsey do somehow go down. I know it seems like neither of those guys ever do, but you never know. It does not hurt to play it safe, but I think with that last pick, you can really do just about anything. Just make sure you're getting someone who is going to potentially have value and you can flip down the road or maybe insert your starting lineup. So good question, David. Thank you for that. And with our next question, we've got our guy Snacks. He wants to know who the quarterback three is behind Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And I know my guy. I want to see if you agree here. Who's your QB three? I think your guess is Kyler. You're not wrong. Okay. Well, you're going to hate mine because it's... I swear, if you say Dak Prescott... Prescott, baby! He was the... I believe he was... QB two last season, so facts are finish, facts. Finish this episode on your own, sir. I am out. Facts are facts. QB two last season. Snacks. I know we're gonna draft tonight, but touchdowns are worth five in our league, and Dak's gonna be slinging it to Amari, Michael Gallup, CD Lamb, Jarwin, Zeke out of the backfield. The other team a lot. Dak is gonna have a great year. He was awesome last season. I think he's going to be steady Eddie all year long. Jackson. What round What round are you taking, Dak? Riddle me that. I'm not taking him seven or earlier. I'll take him eight if he falls to me. In a okay. 12-man league. Okay. I think I'd probably consider Kyler sixth round-ish is when I'd start thinking about that. Maybe seventh. If I have Hopkins, I am going to be way more likely to pull the trigger a little bit earlier on Kyler. But... I also said Deshaun Watson, he's right there. I, I don't think that you could go wrong picking Deshaun in the 6th, 7th, 8th, or ninth round, especially since Houston has a chance to be not great Throwing this year. <laughs> yeah, they're going to they're gonna sling it around a lot. I'm not sure how confident they are in David Johnson running between the tackles. So Deshaun's going to throw have the ball to his hands a lot. And yeah, he is. He's a good guy to dump it off to. Um And then I also don't think that you could go wrong with Russell Wilson. I mean, with DK Metcalf there... With Tyler Lockett there, you add Greg Olson. I think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more than they have in previous years. Also, that division they're in is tough. I think there's a chance that they trail in a good amount of games and don't quite hold the lead as often as they are used to, and they might have to throw their way back into a few. So I don't really, I don't like Dak, but the other options around there, I, I don't What's think there's any anti Dallas bias though. No, I I just don't want Dak. I've never had a desire to draft Dak in fantasy. He's and got sure, rushing last ability year, too, which helps. Oh, what twenty yards a game? I mean, I'll take extra two points and possibly a rushing touchdown. <laughs> sure. All right, whatever. We're gonna agree to disagree on I, that one. I got I got a that little group more of though. Quarterbacks is solid. All right, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I said Dak, but I really think it's personal preference between him, Russ, Deshaun and Kyler you can't go wrong with any one of them it's really up to you so there you go yeah I'm with you on that with you on that and at the end of the day Dak isn't a terrible pick if you do get him eighth ninth tenth round I'm not gonna hate that but if you're stacking him with one of those Dallas top two receivers I think it's a good quarterback to have I like that way more if you do end up with Amari or your boy Gallup yeah, th- that's not a terrible pick. Just don't go take him in like the fifth round. Don't don't take him no. early. But any of those guys, I think wait till at least the fifth round. But yeah, I'm on the same page with you. 
And our last question here, you're going to have to take this one away because it's from Jerb, recurring guest on the show. Big shout out. He wants to know who the biggest sleeper in the GWAL is. I am assuming that is a fantasy league you're in with him. So give us the scoop on that. GWAL is the Greater Wichita Athletic League. And I've been lucky to be a part of this league for two seasons. My record is, I have it here, 19-7. and seven. That's a 73% win rate. I like that. Hey, Doc, I'm coming for you this season. My sleeper in this league, Jerb, I'm sorry. You've, you've been close. You've been close. You got to battle off these injuries. Luke Singer, Steady Eddie, every single season. I don't like drafting next to you, but my dark horse is going to be Cody Hope who has been completely injury-plagued these last two years. And had that not happened, he would have had some nasty teams. But I'm telling you, completely injury-plagued. He had Tyreek and Terry McLaurin out like half of last season. So I'm going to say Cody Hope. Cody, bring it on this year. Let's go. All right. So our final mailbag question that we had, actually an NBA question here. So we will transition over and finish with just a wee bit of NBA talk because there's way too much going on, not to mention it. Drew Rollins, who we actually both played basketball with in middle school, go figure. He wants to know which player would you start your franchise with? Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, or Donovan Mitchell? And that is a tough question. I know my answer, though. I know you know my answer. So I'm going to give you the floor here and see what you think. Yeah, I sound like such a hypocrite because I bashed this guy the other (laughs) week. No way. I have to go with Donovan Mitchell. I just have to. What Jamal Murray has done the last three games deserves all the attention in the world. 47.3 points. He's shooting like 62% from three, 65 from the field. I mean, the shot making that both of these guys have been doing is like nothing I've ever seen. But I've never seen something like this in a series. Right. But I got to go Donovan. He's the best athlete of all three of these guys. He's shown an ability to get better each year, which I think all of these guys will. But if I need anyone to carry my team, make the playoffs and bring it every single night, I know he's going to. And I know Jamal Murray is not as consistent so that is my answer. I can't take Booker because he hasn't made the playoffs. That's a fair argument, but I think if you throw Booker on the Nuggets or Jazz in the role of Murray or Donovan, they're still just as good. That would be but very I, interesting. It'd be incredibly interesting, and I don't hate your answer just because I think Donovan Mitchell does provide the most value on the defensive end right now. That too. Jamal I, Murray I don't know how and Devin I forgot Booker. to say that. <laughs> I mean, you talked about athleticism, and that kind of goes hand right. in hand with it. And I think Devin Booker and Jamal Murray are a little more offensive-minded players without a doubt. But at the end of the day, you cannot go wrong with all three. What my guy Book did in the bubble, I mean, that's playoff atmosphere. You got to see what he's made of on a big stage when the right when the lights are bright. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that next year when we're in the playoffs, he doesn't go absolutely bonkers. So all three of them, I'm just thrilled that we're getting to watch the amazing basketball and the shootout and duels that we've seen between the Jazz and Nuggets. And I'm disappointed that... Game seven is tonight. I would love to see 15 more games of this, but I have to ask Peter, who have you got here? Last time we recorded, I called Denver coming back from three, one, and you laughed at me like I was an idiot. Do you still think I'm an idiot or do you think they can get it done tonight? I didn't think they do it, but I think they can get it done tonight. All right. So you're taking the nuggets. Sure. I'm not going to go in depth because they're playing right now, but yeah. I don't even know the score. I don't want to know the score. It's just the beginning of the first quarter, but um, all right, tell me the score. I'm curious now. Uh, My page isn't loading. (laughs) No worries. Uh, They might have just tipped off in all honesty. I think that Celtics-Raptors game went a little bit long, so they might now just be tipping it off. But anyway, another Game 7 that we have got coming up tomorrow night. This will be out before Game 7, so a little bit more meaningful insight here. But Rockets versus Thunder Game 7. Last night, we saw the colossal Russell Westbrook choke, the CP3 comeback. I mean, this is... Watching that game, I felt vindicated. Like, I felt 
finally freed of Russell Westbrook and the fact that his poor performance handed us a dub and kept us alive in the playoffs in this series was just poetic to me. I mean, I was, I couldn't sleep. I was giddy. I, and not like I was so happy Westbrook had a bad game. I'm just happy that the rest of the world gets to see the problem that OKC had for the last decade and the reason why we played ourselves out of so many games. Yeah, I, it was, it was very strange to be on the other end of a Westbrook meltdown, (laughs) meltdown, if you will. I mean, we saw him just run us into the ground against Portland and Utah the last few seasons in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And now Houston fans are other on the other end of it. And we're on the, I guess, receiving end. We're on the winning end. We got the better player in two picks, so. Right, so whenever you just compare and contrast Westbrook and Chris Paul, I think it's a little bit of the whole like Giannis Luca thing I said last week about maybe Russ for the first 47 and then Chris in the last minute. I like that. Chris yeah. leads the league in clutch points this season. We've seen it. The two threes he hit last night were nuts. Um, that follow away three from the same right corner in overtime in game three, yep. that was huge. The, drawing that foul last second. Yeah, the uh, elbow dagger he hit against Harden in our second win as well. I mean, he's just done it time and time again. Russell Westbrook is not who you want to have the ball in these closing minutes for the Houston Rockets. And I think this is a knock on James Harden because what is he doing? Move around and try to spot up. I know you're not a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter per se, but man, you gotta well, you got to demand the ball. This is the whole problem with Westbrook and Harden, and this is what I said all year was going to be the issue down the stretch. At the end of games, both of them, when they don't have the ball in their hands, they are non-existent, they stand there, they pout, they do nothing, they are so inactive off ball. (laughs) Well, sure he does, but when he doesn't have it in his hands, it's just like, did you see Harden though? I mean, they just sit there and watch the other. The clips of that I saw of Harden the last three minutes of the game, he had no desire to get the ball. He didn't want to create any space off ball. He didn't want to go run around in the perimeter like Steph Curry does to free himself up. It was like he was playing a game of pickup at the Y and he was just like, ah, other guys got it. I'll let him finish it out. I don't really care. I'm tired. I want to go home and drink a beer. That like, is exactly it, it was, what I thought. I'm, it was I'm mind-boggling. I'm tired. It's, it's zeros first to 21 win by two and I'm just gassed. I'm like... Yo, Tanner, take the ball, make something happen. Like we're a Schusterman. I mean, yeah. that's what it is. That's exactly what it looked like. And I think it just speaks to the issues with both of their games. I mean, that the last three minutes in a nutshell were every problem, every beef I have ever had with Westbrook and Harden just to a T. Westbrook doesn't know when to slow down. He is not who you want with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. And James Harden just has no motor and no drive to get it done, and he's not clutch. I mean, I I was amazed. We might just be completely shut up in Game 7 and see the exact opposite of what happened in Game 6, but I'm not expecting it. I'm expecting to see a game very similar to Game 6 where Chris Paul... Dennis Schroeder and OKC Gallinari also clutch up down the stretch. Shea needs to step up, but I think we can even get by. Yeah, he does need to step up, but I think we can get by with Chris Paul, Gallo and Schroeder carrying. But if, I mean, if Shea does step up and you get a 20 or 25 piece from Shea and he really has a good game on the defensive end, it's going to be so tough for Houston to do it. They're going to have to shoot 55% from three to beat us if that's the case. Yeah, I really don't think Houston is a great matchup for us because they have been so good defending the perimeter, and we have these guys that like to get into the lane to create shots for themselves. So, I I mean, I don't feel great going into Game 7, but I do want to point out Chris Paul in the post-game press conference calling out James Harden, saying some guys just step up in the fourth quarter, some shy away He's from right. it. He's talking He's right. directly to James Harden. We saw the stare down in the game okay hang on one thing on that that kind of that myth was busted a little bit 
Uh, did you see the other angle, like the Kobe Bryant inbounds pass thing, like as savage as it looks from the other angle, it's not as cool. Like Chris Paul was not staring directly at James Harden. I mm. think he was actually looking at the bench or the shot clock and or game clock, I should say. And he was staring a little bit to the right of James Harden. It was not like he was looking him straight in the face. But that one photo where it looked like he was just right in his grill staring at him, <laughs> that was incredible. I wish that would have been what it looked like from the other angle also. But yeah, that that one was a little bit boosted, I think. Well, anyways, it was good stuff. Uh, Chris was mad about the trade. You know, I, I don't know if Harden wanted Russ because he thought in the playoffs, Russ will actually be on the floor. He stays healthy. But I don't know, man. Chris is just too damn good down the clutch. And game seven, whoo, let's go. Yep, Chris Paul is not going out to the Rockets without a fight. I mean, he is too petty. He's too competitive to not go out there and just ball out and make Game 7 one for the books. I mean, it's going to be a Game 7 that you tell your kids about, I have a feeling. So I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm ready for the Thunder to finally get out of the first round for the first time in forever. But who knows? Houston might bounce back. Uh, we also yesterday got to see game one of Miami and Milwaukee and we're both kind of bullish on Miami and they look to be everything we thought they would be. And Milwaukee looked like the scared little team we thought they'd be. Giannis didn't want to guard Jimmy defensive player of the year and MVP doesn't okay, want to chill, guard chill the best this, player on the other on team. Front, no. Though, Trill Withers. Kawhi Leonard was not guarding Luca and OT Reggie Jackson was. So it's easy to point out little things like that, but I guarantee you if the Clippers, if the Clippers were in any danger of actually losing that series and it were, you know, the, if it were a tougher opponent and it were the Western conference semis or something like that, and there was a real chance that they go down Oh one and get in some trouble. I think we would have seen Kawhi on Luca, but Reggie Jackson would have been on the floor. So yeah, I was gonna say Reggie Jackson wouldn't have been getting any minutes at all. But I think that Miami wins in six. I stay true to my prediction, and I like what I saw, man. Jimmy Butler's a dog, and it's a little bit like the Chris Paul and Harden thing. You know, I think everything that Giannis is not, Jimmy Butler is. And Giannis might be more talented. He might be bigger. He might be a better athlete. But Jimmy Butler's a dog, man. And in the playoffs, some guys just refuse to lose. And I'm not sure that Giannis is one of those guys like Jimmy and Chris Paul and so many others that are just going to will their team to victory. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I said Jimmy is the reason why the Sixers fell off and why he's a guy that I'd want to have, you know, maybe top 5, 10 on a playoff team. 40 points last night, absolutely took him to school. Giannis is not going to shy away like Harden. He's going to try his best. He did in the fourth quarter, though. He was pretty quiet, man. He just, I mean, you've been on this all year too. He doesn't have that shot making ability. And that's the thing. And the free throws, when you're going four for 12 at the free throw line, that is so mentally exhausting. I mean, when you can't make a free throw, you have to be doubting yourself. And at a certain point, at a certain point, you have to be sitting there thinking, man, do I want the ball in my hands? Do I? What happens if I get fouled again and miss two more free throws and just get exposed? And I'm sure you've got Jay Crowder talking. you got Jimmy talking. you probably even got Iggy in there getting in his head a little bit. And man, I just think this is a terrible matchup for Milwaukee. And Giannis isn't mentally tough enough to get past Jimmy and these dogs on the Miami team. Yeah, Bledsoe is out in game one. Maybe he'll make a little bit of a difference for Milwaukee, but... I picked Miami too. I'm not fading them. Let's go Miami. Bunch of junkyard dogs. Yes, sir. And the fact that Middleton had his best game of the bubble and playoffs and they still lost. Man, they're in trouble. They are in trouble. Um, We also just saw another team, Toronto. Your pick here in the second round Eastern Conference semis. They have gone down 0-2 to Boston and... Did not get to see all of that game, but saw most of it. And that boy Marcus Smart clutched up. Kimba made some shots at the end of the game after a terrible performance. Are you worried about Toronto, or do you think only 0-2, defending champs, they'll battle back, no big deal? So after losing two straight, I'm definitely worried. If Marcus Smart is going to bang in five, six threes 
every single night, I think Boston's going to run away with this series. But I think Toronto will win game three. I thought they would win tonight, bounce back Me too, big. in all honesty. And yeah. they did for the most part, but Boston got hot, and they definitely Toronto have Toronto didn't close out. Right. Boston Boston put it on them in the fourth quarter, and I believe Toronto blew a seven- or eight-point lead going into the fourth. Yes, they they were in command. It was uh, 88 or 80 to 74, uh, 80 to 72 earlier on in the game, and Boston yeah. just came back. Tatum with 34. Kimba Walker has been pretty darn good in the playoffs so far. I just, uh, man, it, the thing, it the hurts. thing that concerns me, thing that concerns me if I'm Toronto is Kimba had a bad night. I mean, he finished strong yeah, in the fourth quarter. I mean, he, yeah, he had the dagger step back that really ended the game. But Kimba played bad, and if you're going to get that bad of a game from Kimba and still can't figure out a way to win. Man, Toronto might be going home a little earlier than expected. Yeah, we'll see, man. I think they'll definitely bounce back, though. They're too well coached. I agree. This isn't going to be a sweep or anything. This series, I think, goes at least six games. It's Surely, it's got to go at least six, but we'll see. We will see. All right. Anything else before we bring episode 75 to a close? Any final thoughts we want to leave people with before their fantasy drafts? Anything like that? Um, I have one question for you. I got 10th pick, which feels terrible. Yeah. What do I do here? I'm thinking I might have to go Devontae Adams. I go Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, or Julio. That's just me. I think it kind of depends on how big the league is. If you've got some sharks in there who are going to hit the RBs hard, maybe you go wide receiver running back. But I think those three wide receivers and Adams, Hopkins, and Julio are undervalued down there in the 15 to 18 range. And I think I might snag both of them with my 10th and 11th pick and my 10 man tomorrow night. I'm I'm 10th and 12th, and I don't really want to take... Drake, Chubb, Jacobs, Jones, Eckler, Mixon in the first round. I don't like any of them in the first round either. Maybe middle of the second, late second, I'd pull the trigger. But that's why I'm saying I feel good about those wide receivers. Adams misses some games, which makes me a little nervous. But for the most part, those three guys are locks to be top five, top seven wide receivers for sure. So when you're going to get that many points at your wide receiver one and wide receiver two slots, your running backs don't matter as much in all honesty. When you are guaranteed 45 plus points a week from wide receiver one and wide receiver two combined, that's a pretty darn good feeling. I think I'm going to go Adams Julio back to back if I can do it. So (laughs) I think that's a darn good idea. There's going to be a lot more targets available for Julio. If I just hope he's still at his prime, he stays healthy and he's happy in Atlanta and, there's a chance that I think, I think he might happy. be getting a little getting burnt out there. <laughs> yeah, they had the contract stuff and got it figured out, but I, he's got to be due for a big year just based on who else is Matt Ryan going to throw the ball to. They're not going to be winning games and running the ball, so it, it's got to go somewhere. There we go. All right. God bless. Well, that is it for episode 75. You know the drill. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Leave us that five-star rating. Tell your friends. Tell whoever. We got the fantasy scoop you need to win your league. More NBA insight to come. Whole lot of exciting stuff going on in the sports world. We will be back next week. Peace. Peace.